leads me to my next announcement. We have a guest with us today who is a missionary. He and his wife, Alex and Nicole Boyle. Why don't you guys just stand up? It's good to have Alex and his wife, Nicole, and daughter, Michael, with us today. And uh, Alex will be bringing the message here in a few minutes, so I'm not going to ask him to come up now uh, just for time. He'll be coming up and be sharing with us. Um, they're called by the Lord to, to the country of Namibia. How many of you know where Namibia is? Ah, Jeff does. I had no idea. So I had to look online and do a lot of research uh, yesterday on, on it just to make sure I wasn't a dummy coming in here today, knowing about Namibia. But Namibia is down by South Africa, and of course Alex will be talking about that. Very arid place, and um, uh, not only uh, in this physical world environmentally is it arid, but also in regard to the gospel. And so God has called Alex and his wife, Nicole. Uh, they've been in South Africa, and Nicole was raised in South Africa by missionary parents. And Alex was raised um, traveling the country, so he doesn't really have anywhere he calls home. His father was in the ministry, traveling the country, going from place to place, serving in churches as, as interim pastor, uh, evangelistic work and and doing work on buildings whatever needed done and so we look forward to hearing the word from Alex this morning and he'll be coming in a few minutes we'll go to prayer in just a minute um, we're not going to do our catechism today I, I do want to highlight to you, you know, we had a, I had a great week down in Cheyenne um, working a couple of pieces of legislation through the Wyoming Pastors Network that have been you know, we have been closely monitoring, and it was exciting to be there. I went to the Wyoming governor's uh, prayer breakfast on Wednesday, and that was a blessing to be there and to, to sit. It was the, the fellow that was the keynote speaker at the, at the prayer breakfast was a guy named Scott Smiley, and that was just very inspirational. Born-again Christian, young man um, in Iraq, lost his eyesight to an IED. I was going to show you a short video of it today, but we had trouble with it. But an IED blinded him. He was paralyzed for some time. Um, he was able to get full movement of all of his limbs and stuff back and, and really be well-functioning, but he's completely blind. And just a born-again Christian with a tremendous testimony for the Lord of overcoming and enduring in the midst of difficulty. And what is truly inspirational about this young guy is, as a blind man, he became the first um, blind officer in the Army. He stayed in, finished his tour uh, teaching at the infantry school, um, and retired from the Army as a blind officer. As a blind man, think about this, he learned to surf in San Diego. We watched a video of this guy up on a board surfing. I'm like, I couldn't do it with both my eyes. Came a mountaineer, has scaled numerous 14,000 feet peaks. Um, the last thing he did, and this was a cool one, is he finished the Ironman triathlon um, as a blind man swimming, what, 2.4 miles, 
biking 125 and then running a marathon on a day when it was 107 degrees. Think about that. And um, all of his training, of course, as a blind man, you know, he, he needs a wingman. And so when he swims, when he bikes, when he runs, he is tethered to his brother. And together they do the race. It was really touching, inspirational. And uh, to hear him testify to the grace of God, you know, it was interesting he was sharing how he was a bitter man after he lost his eyesight and was really struggling. And he would not see anybody, he wouldn't really let anybody into his life. When he was at West Point, he was a member of a church and was teaching a Sunday school, young boys. And he got a phone call from one of the boys that he had taught in Sunday school. And he came to, that boy came to Walter Reed Hospital to see him, and he said that was the turning point. When that young boy came into his life and said, I'm here for you, Scott, you were there for me, that turned him back to the Lord. And so it was a tremendous inspirational thing. Um, it was a good day or a good week. Uh, we need to be in prayer for things at the legislature. I've been going to the legislature since 2008. Uh, when I went in 2008, first time on a whim, uh, Christ Church in Wyoming was AWOL. No Christians there. The, when they wanted to talk to church representation about what was going on in the state of Wyoming, they would call uh, an organization called the Wyoming Association of Churches. And the Wyoming Association of Churches is a liberal entity full of LGBT pastors and, and whatever. And, and that was the face of the church in Wyoming in 2008. Today, it is completely different. Capital is full of born-again Christians, elected lobbyists and others who are standing in the gap, and uh, it's exciting to see that change. Um, you know, we need to be in prayer for many of these people that are really in the hot seat. It, it, it was the most hostile environment in the Capitol that I have ever seen, hands down. The animosity being directed towards the church for the stand of Christians is, it, it's palpable. You can feel it. And so be in prayer for a man like Chuck Gray, our, our Secretary of State. Uh, we sat down and talked with him in his office for 45 minutes, and, you know, he, he's under a lot of attack. And so we need to be in prayer for these people, um, be in prayer for uh, legislation like Chloe's Law um, to, you know, really outlaw in the state of Wyoming the mutilation of kids. Uh, we need to be standing up for these things. Uh, Chloe was there. And what a, what a tragic thing that happened to that young woman, you know, as, as like a 14-year-old to have her life completely destroyed by a woke agenda that's going on in our country. And so we need to, you know, just be in prayer. So let's go. I don't want to say any more about that. I want to, I want to get out of the pulpit here so we can get Alex up here. We want to hear the word of God, hear what God is doing in Namibia, and uh, in expectancy look forward to that. So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And then following that, Matt's going to come right back up, lead us in singing. And following that, after we sing a few songs, Alex is just going to come on up. Father God, I thank you that you are sovereign. You are sovereign over the ages, and you are sovereign over nations. And Father, you are sovereign over our lives individually. 
And Father, sometimes when, when things smack us in the face that are really hard to swallow, we lose sight of that reality. Uh, Lord, it's so easy for us to live in just the here and now and, and to, to base all of our hopes on things that we see and we forget about eternity. And yet, as Paul told us, uh, dear Father, help us to set our eyes on things above where Christ is. And Father, help us to, in setting our eyes on things above, help us, Father, to then be employed here on earth to do your will. I pray for each of us that sit under the word today that we would hear your voice as the word goes forth. Father, you would give us an increasing burden for people all across this world who do not know Jesus Christ, who, who maybe don't have a Bible like we do, and, and people who need to hear this good message of great news. I pray for Alex that you would give him freedom as he preaches. I pray that, Father, you would be with each of us in whatever need that we have brought to this place today, that you would help us to leave it at the foot of the cross. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all here this morning. wanted to start just sharing a little bit about who we are and uh, what we're doing. Um, I'm going to have Nicole come on up so she can share her testimony as well. Our names are Alex and Nicole Boyle, and we are church planting missionaries to the country of Namibia, as Pastor mentioned. Uh, I grew up traveling. My dad, uh, as Pastor mentioned, was a church helps evangelist. So we'd go to churches for several months to a year or more at a time and help with building projects, uh, so I was excited to see what you're doing over there um, and help with kids' ministries, preaching, pretty much whatever the church needed, just to be an encouragement and a blessing to the believers. Uh, so I claim Utah because Utah's beautiful, and why not claim it? Why, no, nothing against Wyoming. But Utah's beautiful, and we spent a lot of time out there. And one day, I, I grew up, I should say, in a 52-foot fifth-wheel trailer, and we pulled it with a semi-truck. And that was our home. That was my life. And one day, we were driving down the road, and I started to understand salvation slowly. I recognized that I was a sinner, that there was nothing I could do to save myself, and that I needed the free gift of Christ's death on the cross for me, to save me from my sins. And we're driving down the road, and I said, Dad, can you pull off? I need to get saved. And he pulled off in a Walmart parking lot. So to this day, I like Walmarts because that's what I think about. And he shared the gospel with me, and I accepted Christ as my Savior. And I continued to grow physically and spiritually. And one of my favorite things to do is to read. So I got into my, my dad's library when I was about 10 years old. And I found a book called To the Golden Shore. It's a biography about a missionary named Adoniram Judson. And I read it once, twice, three times. I don't even know how many times. I still have the book. There's no cover on it anymore. That's how many times I read it. And I was amazed. I was amazed at this man's desire and willingness to serve the Lord to reach people with the gospel in places he had never been, that he wasn't even sure if he would be comfortable in. And that's when I started praying, Lord, is this what you would have for me, to serve you overseas in ministry? I went to Bible college. I got a pastoral studies major with a cross-cultural or missions minor. I went on into seminary, got my master's in Bible and a master's in biblical counseling. And while in university, I met Nicole. That's one of my favorite parts. Um... <laughs> I grew up very differently than Alex. I was born and raised in South Africa, and um, my parents uh, and my grandparents are church-planting missionaries. 
And so I heard the gospel a lot, many times, in many different ways. Scripture presents um, what Jesus would do and then what Jesus did um, for us, all the way from Genesis with the snake and the, and the bruised heel, but the, the heel crushing. Anyway, <laughs> um, and, and so I heard the gospel a lot. Um, and when I was about nine years old, it was time for my family to come to America to uh, report back to their supporting churches. And America scared me. Um, in South Africa, uh, we have our dangers, but it is safe when it comes to natural disasters. There aren't uh, snowstorms and blizzards, uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, tsunami, you know, like, um, not like here in the U.S. And, and so God um, used the fear of death to get me thinking about what would happen to me if I died. Um, and, and so I knew <laughs> from growing up, from hearing the truth, that uh, I was a sinner that I am separated from God, that I, um, even my best is filthy, filthy rags to him, and that he is holy and perfect and, um, and without sin, and that he is just, but he is also merciful. And, um, and so when I was nervous about what would happen to me if I were to die, when, if I came to the U.S. and a natural disaster happened. <laughs> um, I laugh now. I didn't then. Um, I, I uh, spoke with my parents, and they shared more of the verses in, in the Bible about who I am and who God is, like I was just explaining. And, and that day, um, my parents gave me some more verses to go study because my my dad is a very thorough person and didn't want me to make a lighthearted decision. And so I studied those verses as well. And the next day I came back to them. And, um, well, after that day, I had no more the fear of death because I was no longer separated from God. I had accepted his gift uh, of salvation, and I became a child of his that day, knowing then that, and knowing now that I stand before you without that fear because of what Christ did in dying and rising from the dead. Um, so I also knew that I would go into ministry. It's sort of the family business, I guess. <laughs> and so I came to the U.S. and I studied ministry, I studied counseling, and that's where we met. And Nicole knew that I was interested in missions and ministry overseas, so she said, why don't you consider coming to South Africa and working at the Christian camp there, working in the local churches for a summer, and getting to see what ministry is like overseas. So I prayed about that. I was able to raise some money, and I was able to be there with a friend of mine for a summer. And I loved it. I loved the people. I loved the ministries, the culture. The food was pretty great. Uh, it, was, it was an amazing place, and God really started to work in my heart for the people of Southern Africa. And while there, I heard about a country called Namibia. And if you get to know me, I'm the type of person that if I hear about something, I'll write a note about it, and then I'll research it later. And I want to know everything I can about whatever it is. And so I started hearing about Namibia, and I did a lot of research. What's going on there? Are there churches? Are people sharing the gospel? And that's when God started to really work in my heart, and I began to pray for Namibia. And was this where God would be leading me? Came back to the States, spoiler alert, we got married, imagine that, um, continued on in ministry. We've been serving in South Africa for the last couple of years. 
I'm going to share a video now that's going to tell a little bit about what we have been doing, as well as what our plan is for Namibia. At the end of this time, I'll come back up. Uh, we'll do a couple more quick pre uh, PowerPoint slides, and then it'll be time for you to ask questions. Um, so be thinking about questions you might have for us about our ministry. If I could, it might be helpful to turn out the lights um, just for the video. So I threw him a curveball. Right now, we're actually at Parterberg Mountain Retreat. Parterberg Mountain Retreat is a camp here in South Africa that was started by some of the local churches. And they started this camp because they recognized the need in their churches for their young people, as well as uh, other people in their churches, for a place to come together in fellowship with one another. So about 20 years ago, they were able to purchase a property and start a camp here. But several of the pastors here in South Africa who knew that we were coming to do church planting full-time approached us and asked if we would be willing to step in and run this camp. And we recognized the need that there was here in South Africa for these churches and how much fellowship they were able to have here at the camp. So for the last two years, we've been restarting the camp and trying to be a blessing to the churches. Being a third-generation missionary to Southern Africa, uh, has allowed my husband and I to jump into ministry here with a lot fewer barriers. I can speak one of the native languages fluently, and I have an understanding of many of the cultures here in the area. Many people know the name Jesus, but they do not know the Jesus of the Bible, nor their need for salvation. Everything takes longer here in South Africa, from fixing a problem to sharing the gospel, because people are so relationally oriented that if you do not take the time to build just a friendship with people, they will not hear you out. Building a friendship that is based on them seeing how you live uh, gives you the foothold sometimes into sharing the gospel in a way that they are willing to hear and contemplate um, and then accept. In order to be fully effective here, we need to be here full time. Unfortunately, our time is split right now between Southern Africa and America as we try to raise support to return here. Over the next two to four years, we're turning over the camp to new leadership as we prepare for the full-time church planting in Namibia. Missionaries brought the gospel to Namibia 200 years ago. However, since that time, the gospel has become perverted by false teaching. In our research, we discovered only four churches in this country of two and a half million preaching the gospel. Namibia is located just north of South Africa. Besides Afrikaners and Germans, three main tribes, the Herero, Ovambo, and Kavango, call this desert land home. To the south and east lies the Kalahari Desert. To the north lies Tasha and Skeleton Coast. 
Water is scarce. It's tough and inhospitable. It's a dry and a thirsty land. Namibians are stuck in the desert of a perverted gospel, seeking to work their way to God's love and salvation. Just like the Samaritan woman at the well, many long for their thirst to be quenched, yet they look to the wrong sources. Religions based on works. We see the need to establish a biblically faithful and growing church in every community throughout Namibia. I met Victoria in a shop. She had a Bible on her desk, and when I asked her what she was studying, she explained that a prophetess on TikTok was teaching her about the Bible. Victoria believes that she can attain salvation by caring for the poor. Though the Bible lay open in front of her, Victoria still does not know the truth. Most Namibians are like Victoria. They have the truth, but they do not know the truth. To accomplish this vision, we will advance the gospel through community outreach, build Bible-believing churches using life-on-life -life discipleship, train nationals in practical theology through Church Ministries Institute, and deploy them in a national church planting movement. Thankfully, we won't be going alone. We're partnering with another couple, James and Anna Rossiter, who share our burden for Namibia. My heart is genuinely to be here and to serve the people of Southern Africa by bringing them the good news of Jesus Christ. Our heart's desire is to plant local churches here in Southern Africa, but we can't do that until we're here full time. We're looking for churches and individuals to partner with us as we come back here for this needy, needy ministry. Partner with us as together we reach Namibians for Christ. All right. So I do want to ask the same question Pastor did. How many of you have heard of Namibia before? Okay, there's, there's a good number of people. If you have not heard of Namibia before, but you took geography class before 1990, if you're in that category, you're safe. You don't have to apologize to your geography teacher because it wasn't a country before then. So there you go. That's your excuse for the day. <laughs> Namibia is located just north of South Africa. And I want to just take a quick moment to talk about our four-fold strategy, advance, build, CMI, and deploy. Namibians are very, very relational people. Uh, this is what's known as a braai, uh, where it's one of my favorite things because I like meat. Uh, everyone gets together, usually in a community area or for work, and they'll bring meat, and you do a fire, and you get to talk to one another, you get to know each other. Uh, they're very relationally oriented. They want to know that you care about them before they're willing to hear about uh, what you believe and how it will change their life. So we want to be able to utilize different things such as woodworking classes in the community, art classes, photography classes. Anna, uh, our coworker's wife, she's a nurse, so utilizing clinics in the community as well. Ways to show the love of Christ tangibly to people so that way we would have a way to share the gospel with them. As we're doing woodworking projects, being able to do that and then share about the master carpenter, about Christ who wants to change their life. You see, Namibians are very, uh, the, the 20s and 30s, they're very much looking for truth. They're leaving the religion of their parents. 
Uh, they're leaving the Catholic Church. They're leaving the Lutheran Church. They're leaving the Inhikerk. The Inhikerk preaches that you're born into the family of God. You're baptized as an infant and confirmed as a, a teenager. It doesn't preach the true gospel. And these 20s and 30s families, they're leaving this, these religions because they recognize that they're dead, that there's no substance. And they're trying to find truth. And so, Lord willing, our plan is to go to the city of Swokutmunt, uh, which is where most of these young families are moving to for work, and start the first church there. Um, Nicole, if you want to come on up now. Church Ministries Institute, that's something we mentioned. That's theological education and leadership training. Uh, that's something that we'll plan to offer in our local church setting, uh, bringing in pastors from South Africa, maybe seminary professors from America, be able to offer theology classes, uh, discipleship counseling classes, training leaders, Namibians, for the work of the ministry. So that we, Lord willing, we could see them one day go from the cities to the towns, to the villages, reaching Namibians, other Namibians for Christ, seeing more churches started. So advance, build, CMI, and deploy. That was very quick, but I want to give you guys time to ask questions before we get into our Bible study this morning. Uh, so feel free to ask questions about ourselves, about our ministry in South Africa, about what we're planning to do in Namibia, questions about Namibia. The food's good before anyone asks that. Snakes. Snakes. Oh, okay. Um, so at the camp, uh, we do have lots of different snakes. Uh, we've got puff adders. Uh, we've got mambas. Um, we've got boomslong, uh, Cape Cobras. A lot of these, they bite you. You're dead in about 30 minutes. Um, we're 30 minutes from town. <laughs> so probably what it would be is we'd call the, the helicopter. They'd bring in the antivenom and administer it. Uh, haven't had an ev issue ever, uh, so that's a blessing. I don't ever want to have an issue, and I pray they never do. Um, Namibia has snakes as well. You just be aware of where you're walking. Um, if you think there's a, a stick in the path, it might not be a stick. Don't step on it. You know, it's... Simple things like that. So. so Namibia is a very stable country. Um, they have a democracy. Um, so actually their president just died like three weeks ago. So their vice president is now uh, stepping in. But yeah, overall very open to religion in general which is good for us. It's just, we're just another name. Um, and as long as we're not taking any jobs from their people, then they're happy to have us. So that actually flows into one of our plans to be able to be in Namibia with a visa. Uh, we're actually, our mission board is starting a uh, nonprofit organization in the UK. Uh, they'll be able to use that both for us and also for other missionaries in restricted access nations. And we'll open a branch office in Namibia, and that's why we'll be offering some of these things in the community as well, both as a way to get the nonprofit visa, but also obviously as a way to reach the community and share the gospel. So, yes, sir. So I think the phrase was they have the truth, but they don't know it. Uh, and that was um, many people have Bibles. Many people have Bibles, um, and they read them, but everything is an allegory to them. Um, so it's all about how it can better their lives, how Scripture, how God promises to better their lives, and not so much um, the realities that we find in Scripture about um, the human condition of sinfulness 
and God's holiness. So that's what was meant by that phrase. I, as I was listening to it, I was even realizing myself that that could be confusing. So I'm sorry for that. But um, they have the Bible in their hands, but when they read it, they read it through their lens and not through a, a plain interpretation of the scriptures. So most of them will add works to salvation, and they're going to do good things, and hopefully that'll please God. So if you talk to somebody, the most common answer when you ask them about salvation is, well, God is, God is a good God, and he's not going to send me to hell because I'm a good person. And they don't understand that. No, you are a sinner, and you need to accept the free gift of Christ's death on the cross. So there was a question back there. Yeah, um, so English is actually the national language. Uh, when they gained independence in 1990, they recognized that it's the world's language. Um, and so they wanted their people to understand it, to do business in the world. Um, English, so it's spoken by pretty much everyone under the age of 30. Um, Afrikaans is the next most spoken language that's spoken by almost everybody. That's Nicole's uh, language, what she knows and what I've been learning. Um, so when we do church planting, we'll be doing a lot of English and Afrikaans uh, mix. German is there as well because it was a German colony. And then there's lots of different um, tribal languages as well. But pretty much everybody, when they're speaking between each other, they'll speak Afrikaans uh, or maybe English. So, yes, ma'am. Do you want me to answer? Um, so it happened in 1990. What it was is it was a German colony until 1914. And then in the middle of World War I, the rest of the world was taking the German colonies away. So Britain marched up from South Africa into Namibia. And then South Africa administered it as a protectorate until 1990. So that's why for so long it was not a country. And then it got its independence in 1990. Uh, a lot of people ask, too, if you notice the little strip of land that kind of juts out. Uh, that's called the Caprivi Strip, and the reason for that is years and years ago when all the colonial powers were um, taking control uh, of southern Africa, unfortunately, um, they were trying to get access to certain areas, so you know, each power wanted access to this waterfall or to this river or to this whatever lake, and Germany wanted access to a certain river and to get close to Victoria Falls. Um, so. Britain was like, fine, we'll give you this narrow strip of land, uh, which will allow you to get close to there. Um, and basically, that's what it is. It's a road. Um, and then there's villages kind of on either side. But it's not a super wide area. So. Yes, sir. Where are you at on your fundraising? And how much more do you We're at 21% of our support. So we started raising support in September. Uh, so we praise the Lord that in the last five months, we've gotten a lot of the support we need. Uh, but we're still, what is that, 79% of the way to go. Um, so Lord willing, our goal, the realistic goal, is um, early 2026 is probably when we'll be there full time. Um, I would love for it to be sooner, but we'll see what the Lord does. So. Um, one of the big things, too, when it comes to finances. Namibia is a desert country. It's arid. Um, they ship in 70 to 80% of their food. Uh, so food prices are quite expensive. Um, it does not help. <laughs> All right. Yes, ma'am. The other couple that you're partnering with, are they about the same stakes that you guys are right now? They are not. They actually just... Uh, join, told us that they were joining us last June, 
July, sorry. Um, and so he's a pastor right now in Wisconsin. So he has let the church know that he will be stepping down and they will come out with us to Africa again in May. And so from May on, basically July, when they get back to the U.S., they'll start raising support. So they're maybe about a year behind us. Yes, sir. Are there neighboring countries? Was peaceful. Oh, peaceful. Um, South Africa, relatively so. Um, it's fairly stable. Uh, we'll see. There's been some interesting develop developments even in the last couple of weeks um, with some different political parties in South Africa. Uh, but relatively so, yes. Botswana, which is the neighbor to the east, um, fairly stable as well. Um, to the north is Angola. Angola is back and forth. <laughs> Um, but fairly, yes, like there's not major, major issues. Crime is very high, um, so that is, an, is a problem. Um, but that's in most southern African countries regardless because most of the population is very, very poor. Um, and they're just looking for ways to better themselves, and so that often looks like stealing, um, breaking into a home, stealing what they can. Uh, generally, they're not violent crimes. They don't want to hurt people. They're just trying to grab something quick that they can sell and get money. Um, so, for example, if... If your home is being broken into, um, you just pretend to sleep, um, even if you wake up. Because if you sleep, they'll just take your things. If you wake up, that's where it could get violent because, okay, now what do we do with you? So. Yes, ma'am. Do you want to answer that? Okay, you go first. Then. <laughs> so the majority of the country, uh, they're not employed. It doesn't mean, I, they're very poor too, but it doesn't mean that they don't have enough to survive. Many people will have cattle, um, and you know, cow has a cow, has a cow. Um, <laughs> so, so in that sense, um, many people are just considered unemployed. Um, the people that are employed, there's a big tourism industry in the country. Uh, a lot of Europeans will come down during the European summer months and just, um, well, they call it overlanding. They rent a 4x4 vehicle and just drive through the country. And, uh, and so that's a big one. So a lot of house cleaner, cleaners or uh, tour guides, things like that. And then just the typical businesses in towns, so a grocery store. Uh, many people will buy produce in the store and sell it right outside of the store. Um, and you wouldn't think that people would buy it, but they do. Uh, so that would be one as well. There are a lot of mines. I guess Alex can talk about that. Okay. Um, yeah, mining is a huge uh, employer. So they do a lot of zinc, copper, lead. Um, there's a massive uranium mine just outside of Swakopmund, so where we want to start the first church. It actually produces 6% of the world's uranium. Um, so that's a big, big employer. Uh, commercial fisheries off the coast. Uh, there's only one harbor in Namibia, and that's just about 30 minutes south of Sokotmunt, um, so that employs people as well. Um, ranching, there's ranchers, uh, so cattle. Uh, on the northern border, people grow. There's a river on the northern border and a river on the southern border. The northern border, they grow a lot of maize, so like a corn, um, and on the southern border, a lot of vineyards. Um, so that's what they'll do in those areas. But yeah. Yes, sir. You're on the COVID uh, situation. Was, was vaccination a big thing there or not? Was there a lot of a big push to vaccinate or, or not? Uh, well, COVID was really difficult for a lot of Southern African countries because most of the populations in those areas 
are immunocompromised. Um, so they have TB or they have other different diseases that when they got COVID, pretty much they died. Um, and so that was really, really challenging in South Africa and the churches that we've worked with. Um, you talk to anybody in South Africa and they know somebody who's very close to them that probably died. Um, and especially because a lot of people in the poorer areas, which is the majority of the population, they live in homes, which like shacks, and it's multiple generations living next to each other. So someone got it, it went through the whole house, and grandma died, or dad died, or whatever, um, or the kids died. Uh, so that was really, really challenging, um, and that really slowed down ministry a lot too. Um, yes, a lot of people didn't get vaccinated, vaccinated, which is actually a good thing, because it did start to slow down the, the spread, um, and that was really uh, neat to see that it has mostly died out. Um, it's still around. Um, but it was really, really challenging, and we, we know people personally who did pass away um, because they were immunocompromised in lots of different ways. So. I wanted to really quickly go back to a question that was asked about our coworkers. That is a huge answer to prayer. Um, as I mentioned, I've been praying for almost seven years now for Namibia and, and for being able to go in, and we both knew that we needed and wanted another couple to go with us because we're opening the fields. There are no U.S. church planning missionaries from any mission board in the country. Um, so we needed this other couple. And this couple, they're very, very close friends of ours. We actually went, uh, he and I went to university together. We were roommates, uh, went to seminary together, served in ministry for several years together. And that was a huge blessing. Um, we knew that they were praying about missions. So we approached them and said, would you pray with us and consider going to Namibia for church planting and opening this, this field? And we thought it would be a year or two, you know, they'd pray about it, visit, do all these things. And, and then he visited, they prayed about it. And within a couple of months, they're like, yeah, this is what God has for us. And we're like, what? <laughs> uh, so that's how our ministry has now shifted in, since September. September, we came back and just started full-time raising support to be able to go to Namibia and open this field. So it's exciting. I'll take one more question, and then otherwise you can find us afterwards. Yes, sir. Is hunting allowed in house or <laughs> I am in Wyoming, aren't I? <laughs> Um, hunting is allowed, yes. Uh, they've got a lot of different game reserves. Uh, so people will come and they'll, they'll do hunting on those game reserves for big game animals. Um, that is very common. Gun laws can be very restrictive. Um, and so not many people own guns. Uh, farmers typically will. Um, and then a lot of people will just rent if they're going to go shoot something. So, um, but I would say the vast majority of the population, they're not really hunters because they don't have the money for it. Um, it's mostly like Europeans or maybe Americans that will come in um, or the, the, the upper middle class to richer that will go and hunt. So, yeah. And the meat is good. I will say that. So. All right. I think if you would turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, please do find us afterwards. We would love to answer more questions. Please also be praying with us. Uh, as mentioned, that we can raise the remaining 79% of our support. Be praying as well as we transition the camp to new leadership. Uh, we want to be able to see that ministry continue and serve the local churches there in South Africa. Um, so we're going to be starting that transition this summer. It's really exciting. Um, a couple has, has volunteered to, to take that over. So we're going to be transitioning that over to them and helping them this year with that. And be praying for Namibia. Pray that Namibians' hearts would be softened, that people would come to know Christ as their Savior. On our back table, we have prayer cards, and we also have stickers that say pray for Namibia. You can put those on your water bottle or somewhere else to remember. Um, and a sign-up sheet as well. We send out a bi-monthly prayer letter or newsletter, uh, so you could sign up for that as well back there. 
First John chapter 2, I won't keep you very long this morning. I just want to look at the first two verses here. First John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation or the payment for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. As I read these verses, I'm reminded of a few things. John says he's writing this to remind us of what sin is and to remind us not to sin. In the previous chapter, back in verse 9, verse that we probably all remember, well, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John has already reminded us that we are forgiven. If we've accepted Christ's gift, his death on the cross for our sins, then we are forgiven. But it doesn't mean that we don't sin still. When I think about my week, when I think about my day even, I recognize times that I sinned. And if you think about your week, I know you can as well. We are still sinners, saved by grace, right? And John is now saying in this passage, if any man sin, or when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And this reminds me of about a year and a half ago. Has anyone ever done jury duty before? Ah, my fellow jurors. I had the wonderful privilege to do jury duty about a year and a half ago. I got the little slip in the mail. We were living in Wisconsin at the time. And it said, please fill out this form. Congratulations. Well, maybe not congratulations, but please fill out this form. Give all your information. You, this is your month for jury duty. So I filled it all out. It gave you know, all of my information, sent it in, and I forgot about it. Because it's a county, right? I'm not going to get selected. Not me. Well, one Friday night, we're sitting down to dinner, and I get a text message. Congratulations, maybe not, your turn for jury duty. Please show up at the courthouse Monday morning, 8 a.m. If you don't show up, we'll send the sheriff after you and all these different legalese things. And I was like, don't worry, don't want to get arrested over this. I'll be there. So I show up at the courthouse Monday morning, 8 a.m. And there's like 80 people in the courthouse to choose from. They need, what, 13 I'm not going to get selected. I've got pretty good odds here. And they go through all their normal questions, right? And if you've done jury duty, you've probably heard some of these too. They start out with the basics. Are you a criminal? No, I'm not. Some people stood up and left. I felt safer. <laughs> they keep going through all these different things. Then they got to some case-specific questions. Questions like, what are your thoughts on pets? It's a really interesting question. I like them. Do you like dogs? Yes. Do you think dogs should be treated well? Yes. Like, where, where are they going with these different things? And they go through all these different questions, get to the end of the, the time, and I'm selected. I looked nice. I don't know what it was. They chose me. Probably a bad idea, but that's okay. <clears throat> and we go. They take us all back, those of us who've been selected, to this back room, and they explain to us what the rest of our day is going to look like, and maybe even a second day. Then they're getting this courtroom set up. They walk us back in, and it's really formal. And if you've not done jury duty, just imagine what it's like you know, with the TV or movies and stuff. And it's like that. You're afraid that you're going to mess something up. You don't want to breathe, basically. And it's like, all rise for the jury. And everyone stands, and you walk in there, and you turn around, and you sit down. You hope you're not going to trip on something. And then the judge is sitting there. You have a district attorney. You have a defense attorney. And you have the defendant. 
And the district attorney stands up and he says, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Mr. Judge, I'm here today to prove that this lady, the defendant, has murdered these two dogs. Well, there's, that's where the questions came from. It's an interesting case that I got, but hey, that's what it was. He sits back down. Then the defense attorney stands up. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Mr. Judge, I'm here today to prove that my client, the defendant, is innocent of all these charges. He sits back down. Now, for the rest of the day, arguments are made. Now, how, what was that defense attorney's role? We just read it in scripture. How was he acting? Somebody, somebody go ahead and say it. What was it? Advocate. That defense attorney was advocating for this lady. He was attempting to prove or plead on her behalf that she's not guilty. When I look at this passage, I'm reminded of who our advocate is. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Our advocate is Christ, the son of the judge, the righteous one, the one who had done no wrong, pleads on my behalf. That's an amazing promise. It's an amazing privilege that our advocate is Christ. But it doesn't end there. Verse 2, he is the propitiation or the payment in full for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That whole day, we listened to arguments from both sides, the defense and the the district attorney. In fact, they flew in from New York State, the top dog pathologist in the country, to give evidence. Like, I don't know why they would waste that kind of money, but that's okay. That was their decision. And we heard all these different arguments as the defense attorney pled or advocated for this lady. And at the end of the day, we deliberated as a jury, and we found her guilty. We came back in the courtroom. The judge read the sentence, said she's guilty. She will be punished. You know what happened? The defense attorney, he had stood there. He listened to the arguments. He, or he listened to the, 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 the judgment, and he turned around, and he walked out. His job was done. He lost the case. He'd advocated, but he's finished. But for us, our advocate stepped forward. Our advocate, Christ, took that punishment, the payment in full for our sins. I'm reminded of what my Savior has done for me. And I want us to walk away this morning remembering this. I have two things I want us to to think about as we walk away. Firstly, maybe as we look at this passage As we look at these verses, we say, you know, Christ is not my advocate. I have never accepted the advocacy of Christ on my behalf. I've never accepted the free gift of Christ's salvation. Christ has promised that he has died for the sins of the whole world. And that gift is for you as well. Or maybe, as a believer, we just need to be reminded. Reminded of who our advocate is. Reminded of who our payment is. Christ, he paid for you, and he paid for me. And what do we do about that? How do we apply that? Well, we don't have time this morning, but if we were to go on in this passage, the argument is made, how do we know that we are believers? How do we know that Christ has paid for us, that we've accepted his gift? 
And the argument is made that we will show the love of Christ. Just as we have been shown love, so will we also show love to others. And that looks like showing love to those even that we struggle to love. That looks like showing love because we were loved first. So I would challenge us this week, have we accepted Christ's gift? Is Christ our advocate and our payment? And if you have, are you showing that? Are you showing that the love of Christ has changed you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the brief time we had to look at your word this morning. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ the righteous, our advocate, but not just our advocate, who still is pleading on our behalf, but our payment. Thank you, Father, that you sent your Son to die for us. Thank you that Christ is still pleading on our behalf. We sang that this morning in, in our singing, that you still stand before the throne pleading, interceding before us. I pray that we would be changed by the love you have shown to us, that we would be known as those who love, that we would be known as Christians, followers of Christ. Thank you for your word. Help us to be changed. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Alex. I want to just... Um, bring a couple things to your attention as we close. You're in 1 John, so flip to 3 John. Would you do that? And I want to mention something there. But before I do, the first thing I want to do is, you know, I want to invite you to respond. And all I'm saying by that is this. Listen, we don't often, we don't always, by no means, at the conclusion of our worship service, end with an altar call. Or something like that. Maybe you've been in churches that did. We don't often do that. And I'm not going to have an altar call this time. But I do want to nevertheless remind you of something. And that is if maybe you're new to our church. Maybe you've been here sometime. Maybe you're like Alex and Nicole. And you mentioned how, how they mentioned when they were children. They had heard the gospel. And then at one moment, the Holy Spirit really showed them their personal need. And if at any time in a service of this church, a ministry of this church, a small group, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, revealing to you your personal need to respond in faith to Jesus Christ, that truly is why we are here. We're not here just to drink coffee on Sunday morning and talk in the foyer or do other good things that we do as a church. We are here for you. And so I want you to know that at any time that the Lord is working, and maybe you're a child, and you're like, oh, I'm intimidated to talk to Pastor Tim. Okay, talk to Pastor Matt. He's less intimidated, <laughs> right? Okay, or you know what? We want you to come. That's why there's an elder here at the conclusion of the service, not just to look nice. And so you have a question. You, you have something God is doing in your life. We want you to come to us. We have email. We have texting. We have phones. We're here for you.
Okay? I want to stress that to you. The other thing I want to do as we close is I want to use this as an opportunity to remind you of some process in the church. Remember, we are a local church. We are an autonomous, self-governing church. We're independent, Bible-believing. Because of that, you know, we don't have somebody outside of us telling us, you got to spend X amount of money on missions, and these are the missionaries we want you to spend it on. We have people approach us at various times who want to come, and if it seems like a good fit when they approach me, I talk with them on the phone, look at their stuff, we invite them to come and they present to you, right? And so we support any number of missionaries. And you'll see them in our budget. They come here periodically to report. We post their prayer letters. And I want to just give you a heads up as a church something about process. You know, how is it that a missionary becomes a missionary of EBC, okay? Before I do that, I want to read some verses to you in 3 John, because I hope everything we do is somewhat based on the Scripture, and I'm talking tongue-in-cheek. In verse 5, he says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Now, these brothers would be like the Alex and the coals of the world. And he's saying to the church, it is a faithful thing you do in your efforts for these missionaries, strangers as they are. In other words, you know, I'm not saying they're strange, but they're strangers to us, right? We don't know Alex and Nicole well. We heard their heart this morning. We heard what God is calling them to, as we do other missionaries that come our way. Strangers as they are. And they testified to John of your love. And you will do well. Now notice what he says. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Okay? In a manner worthy of God. Think about that. We are to send the strangers that God brings to us. We are to send them on their journey in a way that is worthy of God. So when we have missionaries come, we always seek to take care of them and give them an honorarium. Um, but then also like today, as you leave, and as we're singing this closing song, I didn't prepare you on this, but we're going to double dip. Okay, we're going to take another offering. Okay, so we're going to pass the plates again. And I just encourage you, if it's on your heart, um, there again, no pressure like no time when we take an offering. But if the Lord puts it on your heart, you want to help Send them on their way, on their journey, in a manner worthy of God. Everything you put in the offering this time as it comes out, that's going to them. Okay? And then he says this, For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. In other words, they're not raising money from the world. They're not going out as an NGO. Right? They're going out by the church. Therefore, we ought to support people like these. Why? So we can be fellow workers for the truth. Remember earlier in 2 John, he says, you know, don't participate with those who undermine the deity of Christ, because then you become a fellow worker with false teaching. But what he's saying here is we ought to support people like these 
so we can be fellow workers for the truth. So here's the process, and I just want to share this with you. You know, like we heard today, the money they need to raise. We, we have many missionaries. Um, we, we seek, kind of by policy, we say, every dollar that is given to us, we're going to tie that dollar back to, mi to missions outside of the church. However, in reality, we give typically to our missions budget every year between 20 and 25% of all the money that comes in your offering as you give it to the Lord is going back out from here. I also know many of you support missionaries individually. We want to encourage that. But whenever a missionary comes, if they, you know, you're sitting in your seat and you're like, that is a noble cause and they are people that are devoted to what God wants them to do, and I'm believing in what God's called them to do. We want to hear from you. The elders do, okay? The elders want to hear from you what God is doing in your heart in regard to them. Now, the reason we want that is we want to support missionaries that are not only a good fit for the church, but also the Lord has laid on our heart. That doesn't mean if we don't support a missionary that they were a bad missionary or not called by the Lord. It just means they weren't, the Lord didn't lay it on our heart. So if the Lord is laying it on your heart and you're saying, man, this is somebody we ought to support, please talk to your elders, let them know. And then as we draw a budget for the new year, we take that consideration. And we work to understand what the Lord, there again, it's not what do we just want to do, it's what? What does the Lord want us to do? So as we close in prayer, I'm going to pray for Alex and Nicole. Um, we're going to send them out from here on their journey in a way worthy of the Lord, and we'll see what the Lord has. But let's pray for them that God will take them and use them in his work in Namibia. Father, we come before you, we close our time by thanking you for the message today. Uh, Father, I thank you you sent your son that he not only has spoken on our behalf as was shared today, more importantly, he bore the punishment that we do deserve. Father, of our own, we cannot claim innocence before your court, for we are guilty. And yet Jesus has taken the punishment of our sin. We worship you for that today. We pray that people in Namibia would hear that gospel and respond, that you would build churches there, that, Father, you would bless Alex, Nicole, their co-worker team, that you would get them to the field quickly in your time. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.